So as I already mentioned, these days at the river, we're in a series of messages called Tomorrow People. And um, this is a series in which we're learning to live in the light of eternity. Most people in our culture live for today. They're occupied with today's concerns. But tomorrow people, they take a much bigger picture. They think about the fact that, that we live in this world in which there is a kingdom that is coming. And we want to live in light of that. You see, some people think that this world is nothing but a cosmic accident. That this world will go on until the sun around which the earth revolves runs out of energy or we destroy the planet in some way, shape, or form. And at that point, all life on earth will will shrivel and die and life will cease to exist. For these folks, their only hope is to live as pleasurable a life as they possibly can between now and when they put that person six six feet under. But tomorrow people, tomorrow people see the world in a whole different way. They believe that this world, as we know it, is part of a much larger realm called the kingdom of God. And, and this realm is presided over by God. And not as a single entity, it's, it's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have never stopped existing. They've existed in a state of, of, of perpetual aliveness, of self-giving and self-receiving love from all eternity. In fact, it's out of the overflow of their love that this world was created. It was their desire to build a community, a community of life that would reflect their life. History, as we know it, is the unfolding story of God's glorious plan to create this community, a community of human beings that freely love God and delight and delight in stewarding this universe and all that's in it for all eternity. Now, because they sovereignly chose to, to, to limit their power and to give human beings free will, the story of this world has some extremely dark chapters. Human beings chose to create their own little kingdoms, and so all kinds of evil was unleashed on the earth as a result. But God did not give up on this world. Jesus freely chose to humble himself, to set aside his power, and to become flesh and blood, and with him, Jesus brought the kingdom of God. Life as God intended it. Life as it's existing existing even now in heaven. And he brought that life from heaven down to earth. He brought it near. The Bible says in Mark 1 that the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom was that Jesus brought this kingdom near. And through his death and resurrection, he unleashed the Holy Spirit into the world so that people of every tribe and every nation on this earth who turn their hearts to Jesus can be saved and join with God in renovating and restoring this world. This is the gospel, friends. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what tomorrow people believe And they live in the light of this reality. In fact, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not just believing the right thing in your head. It's entering into this life that Jesus has brought near by the way in which you live. To become a Christian, we're learning in this series, 
is to choose to become more and more like Jesus with each passing year to will what Jesus wills and to live like Jesus lives. Now, this morning, I want to talk specifically about what tomorrow people think about this word, the S word, sin. And that's why I've entitled this message, Leaving Baggage Behind. All right, let's talk. In his book, The Sickness Unto Death, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard describes the way sin blinds our self-awareness with a parable about a peasant who went to town to buy shoes and stockings and had enough money left over to get drunk, good and drunk. On his way home, he was so drunk, he passed out in the road. And a carriage came along, and the driver told him to move or he would drive over his legs. Well, the peasant woke up, and he was still groggy and, you know, still a little inebriated, and he looked down at his legs, and he did not recognize them because, because he didn't remember buying the new shoes and the stockings because he was so drunk. So he says to the carriage driver, go ahead. They aren't my legs. It's not meant to be funny, okay? It's just It's meant to be poignant. Kierkegaard writes, in the life of the spirit... Listen to this now. In the life of the Spirit, there is no standing still. If a person does not do what is right, the very second he or she knows it is the right thing to do, the knowing becomes more and more obscured. See, I, I, I begin to rationalize my behavior. I deny my intention. I forget the wrongs I've committed and instead mem- memorize the wrongs I've received. How often in the news, when people are caught in in deceit or violence, do they say, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. But the truth is, it is who they are. They've just convinced themselves otherwise. You see, very often, we do not recognize our own character. We do not see our own faults. We do not know our own souls. Go ahead. They aren't my legs. As we have seen, our greatest need is not to be saved from what might happen to us, but to be saved from what might happen in us, from the kind of persons, the kind of people we might become. See, see Kierkegaard writes all this. He writes about sin And he says that that sin is not simply breaking religious rules and we'd be better off without all those rules. No, it's not just doing the wrong things, but it's becoming the wrong kind of person. Are you with me? Sin, he said, is not wanting to be oneself before God. That's why he argues that the opposite of sin is not virtue, Okay. Why? Because I may try to cultivate virtue on my own and still be in charge of my own life. No, the opposite of sin is faith. It is to be grounded transparently in God. God, in turn, doesn't hate sin because he's anti-pleasure. He invented pleasure. 
He hates sin because it promises so much and offers so little. Have you noticed? Dr. Vincent Felitti wrote a remarkably profound explanation for the power of addiction, for example. It is hard to get enough of something that almost works. Did you get that? It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. What we call addiction, the Bible calls an idol. Alcohol almost works until it doesn't. And the same is true for success or money or comfort or any other aspect of this world that we might make the the main thing in our life, the idol that we cling to. And, and, And so when Jesus in the Gospels is talking about entering the kingdom of God, being saved, what he's talking about specifically is leaving our idols behind, leaving the baggage of our idols behind. Let me see if an illustration can help. My furnace quit working this week. And uh, it's a brand new system, which is really annoying. But part of the problem, according to my furnace plumber guy, is that something got into the system and mucked it up and basically messed up whatever transfers fluid into different places. You can tell I'm a very technically uh, proficient person. Sin... Think of it this way. Sin has gotten into our system. And we can't get rid of it on our own. We need God's help. Dallas Willard tells a story of, of eating with a friend who happened to be eating really, really hot peppers. And he said to Dallas, these peppers will burn the hell out of you. To which Dallas said, then give me a thousand of them. Do, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, to take hold of this glorious life that God has for you, you need to have the hell burned out of you. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Let's start with a a story from the, the Gospel of Luke. Listen to these words. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's basically the lake Sea of Galilee, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The Simon there is Simon Peter, just so you know. Jesus is teaching people about God and faith and the human condition Because he loves people, and and he wants to give them wisdom about how to live life to the fullest. And and people are always hungry for this sort of thing. And and Jesus is really, he's a great teacher. He's the best teacher that, that has ever walked the face of the earth. And so pretty soon a crowd is gathering, and they're and they're kind of starting to press in on Jesus, and and it looks like they're about to push him into the water. He keeps having to back up and back up. And so he sees these boats. And he gets into one of them, and he says to Peter, he says, Peter, can you take me out into the water a little ways so that I can keep teaching? Peter obliges him and rows him out a few feet. And Jesus sits down to preach. Now, try to imagine for just a few moments what it was like for Peter to be in the boat. I'm thinking that maybe Peter might have nodded off a bit, right? 
And we know he got, he got sleepy in the garden while he was praying and on the Mount of Transfiguration. And now he's been up all night fishing. So he's probably tired and, and Jesus is, is going on and teaching and, and there's more people coming. So you can just kind of see him like in the boat, you know, trying to keep it together. Or maybe, maybe he was listening and, um, and he hears Jesus teaching the word of God. And maybe, maybe he's hear, hearing Jesus teach, you know, you are the light of the world. And, and Peter thinks to himself, boy, I'd like that to be true. Maybe Jesus is teaching about turning the other cheek, like forgiving other people. And Peter, who will one day cut off the ear of a man, starts thinking about his own anger issues. Maybe it's let your yes be yes and your no be no. And Peter, who will one day lie, even about knowing Jesus, thinks of all the lies that he's told in his life. Maybe it's Jesus is teaching, don't worry about your life. And Peter, who will one day panic on this, this very lake that they are now on, he, he hears this and he, and he thinks about all of his fears and all of his faithlessness. Maybe for Peter, as he hears Jesus talk, there is this strange combination of hope as to what he might become, but shame over who he is right now and how he's fallen short. And maybe this morning, you feel a little that way. Maybe like Peter, when you're thinking about Jesus and you're, you're hearing him teach and you're hearing him say these wonderful things, you're, you're thinking, well, I'm such a lousy disciple in so many ways. Jesus finally finishes, and, and Peter begins rowing Jesus back to shore, but Jesus tells him to row in the other direction, to, to go out onto the lake, and he tells Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, have you ever been in a situation in which you're an expert in something? I mean, it's your job, and some amateur starts to give you advice, right? Right? Like the new guy at work starts telling you, well, you know how you have to do it. And you're like, I've been doing this for 25 years, okay? I think I know what I'm doing. Peter was a professional fisherman. And Jesus was what? A carpenter, probably a mason, all right? Peter could have said, listen, Jesus, I won't tell you how to give talks, and you don't tell me how to fish. Deal? But, but he doesn't. He, he says simply, Master, you know, you can see here, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. This is an act of faith. And Jesus always responds to acts of faith. And, and, and something amazing happens. Luke tells us, when they had done this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their, uh, their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, so full of fish that they began to sink. I mean, th this must have been such an amazing moment, right? Like this summer, I was, I was fishing in the Okanagan, and we have like a fish finder, right? And we, we can look down and see maybe where there are some fish that potentially we could catch. Jesus apparently doesn't need a fish finder, right? Now, how might you respond to this if, if you were Peter? I mean, a, 
a fisherman, a professional fisherman. Think about what he could have said. He could have said, ah, beginner's luck, right? Or he could have said something, Jesus, you are now my favorite fishing buddy, right? It certainly must have occurred to Peter that if Jesus went fishing with him more often, right, he'd be rich. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, all the fish in the boat, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Right? I mean, this, this is such a, it's such a dramatic moment. Right in the middle of all the fish, because, I mean, the boat is full of fish, right? He throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, You are too good for me. You are too glorious for me. What you're teaching and preaching, and oh, you might as well leave me here because you wouldn't even believe the amount of sin that I have in my life. Now, in our day, we might say to Peter, Hey, Peter, you know, where's your self esteem? Right? Don't let religion make you feel bad about yourself. I mean, Peter is at the beginning of this process of actually letting go of sin, right? He's at the beginning. He doesn't even know it, but he's at this process because, I mean, um, he's he's finally got to the place where where all the stuff that was going on in his head while he was sitting in the boat, all of these hopes and dreams about the kind of person he could be, he now finally says it out loud. He finally now says it to Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. You see, that's the first step in getting well. I mean, to get a handle on this, to to, to what Peter's feeling in this moment, let's journey with someone who has been drunk for 30 years and it was at their first AA meeting. I mean, they're, they're finally desperate enough. They've lost everything on account of alcohol, their career, their family, their self-esteem, their health, everything. It's all gone. For 30 years, they've fought this moment, but now finally, they've hit rock bottom, and for the first time, they say those famous words that will first crush them and then bring them back to life. Hi, my name is Peter, and I'm an alcoholic. Understand, friends, these words are death because they mean at this moment that you have to die to a way of life you thought would bring you happiness, a way of life that almost worked. And you are dying to that in this moment. But these words are also life because they are the beginning of a new and better way to live. And around the circle, what do the... All the other drunks say, hi, Peter, hi, Peter. Now, understand that they are celebrating with him this moment, not that he's an alcoholic, like, way to go, you've become an alcoholic. No, they're celebrating that he's finally decided to come clean, that he's finally decided to acknowledge reality. When you say, hi, my name is Peter, I'm an alcoholic, what are you saying? You're saying, I'm a sinful man. I'm capable of this level of sin. Friends, 
this is the place you have to go if you're really going to begin to address your sin problem. It's, it's the stuff in your life that you need to leave behind so that you can enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus talked about this all the time. You could find this in the Gospels in his interactions with people. The thing that Jesus could do, which was so amazing, is he could see into a person's heart and he knew instantly what their idol was. And he basically said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, that can't come with you. You got to leave it behind. As much as you want to cling to it, you got to leave it behind. You see, part of our problem these days, especially for those of us who go to church all the time, is, is that while we're willing to acknowledge sometimes that we are sinners, like maybe we, we sing it in a song here or we pray it in a prayer, the truth is oftentimes we aren't willing to do anything about it. I mean, a drinker who declares, I'm an al- alcoholic, understands that because God is gracious, everything in their life is about to change. Us church folks who come to church and say, I am a sinner, often misunderstand this to mean that because God is gracious, nothing in their, in their life has to change. I'll just come back next week and get more grace for the same problems. Are you with me? Peter courageously says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He has this profound experience of Jesus' identity, who Jesus actually is, and this, become, this causes a profound awareness of his own brokenness. We need to acknowledge, friends, in the first place, that we're sinful. And this is actually the first step, confession and remorse. Confession and remorse. You know, it's considered um, a sign of health when someone says, I have no regrets. Think about that. I have no regrets. I think any sane human being ought to be full of them, right? I mean, if you're really in touch with who you are and what you're capable of. Now, listen, I am not talking about hanging on to shame for shame's sake. No, it's recognizing that I have a sin problem. Did you know... That for judges and prosecutors, it matters greatly to them if a wrongdoer shows signs of remorse. I mean, it matters to parents and spouses too, right? Because a person who can harm another person and feel no remorse is indeed a different kind of person than the one who knows that they've done something wrong. Do you remember when you were young and you would get into trouble with your parents? And this happened to me a lot. And... uh, I would do something bad, uh, usually involving my other brothers or something, and um, my mother would look at me and say, go upstairs to your room until you can come down and tell me what you did wrong. And I'd be, well, up to your room, I'll never say anything, right? And you're up there and you're grumping around and you're angry and, and, and then, you know, and then maybe you even decide to fake it, right? So you go downstairs and like, okay, I'm sorry, I broke the glass, right? My mom was smart enough to know that I hadn't really come to the place of confession. So she said, well, go back upstairs and think about it for a little while and come down when you actually feel sorry. That'll never happen, right? You ever been there? You go back upstairs, but slowly, suddenly, you start to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I did do something wrong here, right? Right? And you start... And 
finally, you, you come down and you own up to it. See, this is the first step in, in leaving your sin baggage behind. Confession and remorse. Until I own Oh, up to the true depths of what I'm capable of as a sinner, until I own it, so to speak, I will never be healed. But the moment I'm willing to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, right? That's when the healing can begin. By the way, this is why it's so important to place yourself in the presence of Jesus every day. To spend time with him. Remember, it's in his light that we see light. It's in his presence, in understanding his identity, gazing on him, seeing him, right, that in that light we begin to understand who we are and what needs to change in our lives. Now, this brings me to the next step, and it's what the 12-step program calls making amends. Making amends. Making amends is seeking to put right what you've done wrong. And it's a critical step in leaving your baggage behind and entering into the kingdom of God. It's, it's liter- quite literally how salvation comes. There's, a, there's another story in the Gospels in which a tax collector named Zacchaeus met Jesus. Now before this moment in his life, he lied and cheated and stole his way to success, Right? I mean, tax collectors in those days, you know, it was basically a license to extort people. But then one day he meets Jesus. And Jesus pulls him out of the crowd and says, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house today for supper. And, and as Jesus begins to, to preach and teach and talk in his house, he's so, he's, you know, and, and, and this act of Jesus to actually push beyond all the, all the religious barriers that were out there and to actually come to a tax collector's house. No other rabbi would ever do that. All of this just cuts Zacchaeus to the heart. And, and, and he, says, he says that not only is he going to pay back the principal of all the money that he's extorted from people, but he's going to pay it back four times over. I wonder if Miss Zacchaeus was thinking, uh, shouldn't we have talked about this first, Right? And you know what Jesus says in that moment? It's really telling. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. In other words, Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I can see it happening. This idol of money that was controlling you for your entire life, this thing that almost worked, it's losing its grip on you. You're, you're, you're letting it go. You're getting freed up. You're getting healed of your money addiction. I can see the kingdom coming right here, right now in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, making amends actually helps me change. To the people I have wronged, I now choose to treat them as love would. And that means if I owe them money, I pay it back. If I gossip about them, I go to them and own up to it, and I ask them for forgiveness. If I lie, I acknowledge the lie, and now tell the truth. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, that's painful, right? That's embarrassing. Yes. Yes. And that's part of what will help you avoid the same sin in the future. It's part of what will heal you. 
Several years back, I was in an accountability group, and we would ask each other a series of tough questions, right? And like, did you look at another um, woman who was not your wife in a lustful way this, anytime this last week? Uh, did you spend money unwisely? Did you give into an addiction of any kind? And, and on and on and on, the questions would go. Really hard-hitting questions. The last question was, did you just lie to me? All right? Which was the hardest question, right? Because you had to kind of go back. And sometimes you had to say, okay, I, I kind of shaded it a little bit. And let me be clear, this is what I really did, Okay? And it was, so, it was so good for me and so good for the guys that were in the group because I would literally get to certain junctures in my life where I would, would consider sinning, right? And I would think, there is no way I'm going to do this because I do not want to have to confess this on Saturday morning, right? Because that will be painful. Making amends, right? It teaches us the negative aspects of sin. And it helps us leave those idols that we're clinging to, those idols that almost work behind. All right, next step. The next step is forming a new intention. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, there's confession, remorse, there's making amends, and then there's forming a new intention. Back to Peter in the boat. Imagine... Imagine now if Jesus had actually listened to Peter. If he had said, Peter, you are right. You are a sinful man. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I don't want you anywhere near with me, near me, right? Don't even think about me. But that's not what, what Jesus does. Instead, he gives Peter a new vocation. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, Jesus is in this moment inviting Peter to become one of his disciples, to follow him in a, in a fuller way, as a vocation now, right? See, Jesus is saying, you think that acknowledging your sinfulness disqualifies you from the kingdom. I'm telling you, it does exactly the opposite. Your awareness of your sin and your willingness to do something about it frees you and qualifies you to be one of my disciples. And in this moment, he gives Peter a new intention to become the kind of person that can spread the message and the reality of the kingdom to all kinds of different people. Now, listen, Peter still had a long way to go to, to truly grasp all of this. And to truly enter into the life that Jesus has for him. And the most important thing that he had to learn was to actually trust Jesus rather than trust himself, right? And obey Jesus even when it was difficult. But you see, this is the intention that Jesus wants to build into each one of us. Jesus is telling us this morning, it's not enough just to feel sorry for your sins. Jesus wants you to start obeying him above everything else. He wants you to place him at the center of your life, where that idol was, that thing that, you were, that, that was controlling you, this thing that you were pursuing, this thing that almost works. Jesus is saying, I want you to place me there now, and I want you to follow me and listen to me and build your life around my teaching and my truth. And Jesus, he taught about this all the time. You can, once, you, once you get this concept and you start reading the Bible, you will start seeing this. 
over and over and over again. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but then who? But the only the one who does the will of my Father, right? In other words, Jesus is saying not everyone who is in a worship service or sings worship songs or, 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 or who says, you know, where's one of those I'm a Christian kind of t-shirts, right? Will get into the kingdom of heaven. The person who obeys me, who begins, who begins to apprentice their life after me, who does the will of my Father. Again, John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus never pauses to assure people that it's okay, to, uh, that it's okay not to do the things that he says to do as long as you believe them, right? This, this is why um, Dallas Willard used to say, he says, um, and teaching them to, or he was talking about the great omission in the Great Commission. For those of you who um, don't remember, the Great Commission was, you know, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, he sends out the disciples and he says, go out into all the world, you know, share the good news. And then he says this, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Willard says, this part of that commission is the great omission. You know, friends, obedience gets a bad rap. We, we tend to associate it with a kind of a mindless, mindless compliance. It's, it's not thought of as a, as a leadership gift, right? I mean, no, no parent wants to go to their, their child's parent-teacher interview and be told that their child's number one gift and quality is that they are obedient, right? Creative, great. Confident, yes. Gifted, great. But obedient, right? But what Jesus is asking from us is not blind compliance, but, of a, but a kind of obedience that requires judgment and discernment, creativity and initiative. It's about becoming an excellent person, not just a mindless rule follower. You know, um, the longer I've been a pastor, the more... I realize that obedience is a challenge. And, and not just a challenge in actually being obedient in my own life. That's a big enough challenge. But knowing what to do in all circumstances. I mean, what does obedience look like when it comes to the LGBTQ issues in our culture? What does obedience look like when it comes to the kind of politics that are all around us today? What does obedience look like when it comes to climate change? Jesus is not just bringing rules, friends. He's bringing a way of life. And he wants us to become the kind of people that are so filled with, with his, his way of life, who, who so, so closely understand what, what he says and, and, and who, for whom love is, is, is the divine or driving force in their lives. They love his wisdom. And these are the kind of people he's trying to create so that they bring all of this to the table when they have to make decisions about how to live in the world. And how to follow Jesus individually, but then also communally. Jesus brings the kind of life that we're all looking for. The kind of life that is life. But we cannot enter into 
that life until we begin to leave our sin baggage behind. All right, last thing. Last thing that we need to do. And that is we need to make baggage leaving a habit. We need to make baggage leaving a habit. Um, I don't know if you ever have this, but you ever go into your garage or you go into one of your closets and, and it's, a, it's a mess and there's all this junk in there and you think to yourself, I just cleaned this. How is this even possible that all this stuff, don't you notice that? Like just junk kind of, it kind of accumulates almost like it's multiplying without you, right? It's not, just in case you're, you're wondering, but, but it happens, right? How did I get all this junk? Sin is like that. It, 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 it builds up. It's like plaque on your teeth. It's, you know, as you go through this world, as you, as you bump around through this world in relationships, at work, it, it, it's, it's kind of like it begins to cling to you here and there, right? And so as a kind of a daily habit, you've got to keep on leaving it behind. You've got to keep on saying, well, how did that get there, right? Okay, I, that's a boat anchor. I don't want that in my life, right? How did that get there? That's going to do nothing but make my life miserable. That's why we go to Jesus every day. We say, Jesus, please shine your light in my life. Shine your grace and truth into my life such that I will understand the baggage that I've accumulated so that I can leave it behind and live up to the, the life that you have for me. This life that is life. Listen, being a follower of Jesus is not about making a one-time commitment, saying the right thing in, in the right worship service or, or filling out a card. No, it's a daily practice, saying today, today, once again, I'm going to believe behind all the crap that's dragging me down, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to love people like Jesus loved them. I'm going to choose to love our Father in heaven like Jesus loves him. It's like, it's like going to the gym every day, right? Now, here's where we need to talk about spiritual disciplines, but that's next week's message, so you're going to want to come back for that. But let's, let's spend some time now just in prayer, and I want to invite the band to come back up right now. Um, they have a great song that we're going to sing right after this prayer, and so I want to invite you now just to stand up as a way of, just go ahead, stand up, as a way of declaring, I agree with, with the Word of God which was said this morning, I agree with it, and I want to I do something about the baggage in my life. So let's pray, and then we're going to enter into this, this, uh, this song, this final song. The truth about every one of us here, God, is that we love our idols. We've got stuff in our life, things that we're clinging to, things that we're hoping will make us happy, things that almost work. For some of us, it's an addiction of some kind. We know it's wrong. We know it's harmful. We know it's killing us, but we keep going back to it and back to it and back to it because it almost works. For some of us, it's money. It's the, it's the security that money brings. It's the opportunity that money brings. And so we've oriented our lives around this idol and we pursue it. And we hoard it. And it almost works. Until it doesn't. Until we begin to realize that 
We can't take it with us. And that no amount of money can buy us joy. For some of us, it's our work, and, and we, we throw ourselves into, into work, and we, want the, we, we enjoy the work, but we also want the prestige, and we want the, we want the comforts that come with, with the job that we have, and, and we pursue this job with all our might, and it almost works. But one day, we get up, and we realize that it's actually an idol, and it's destroying our relationships. And it's sucking the life right out of us. Father, there's something in every one of our lives because we are idol makers. It's what the human heart does. So today, this morning, in this moment, first of all, we want to say to you, we are all sinful people. Like Peter did so many years ago, we want to fall at your feet this morning and say, we are sinful people. And Lord, we are so grateful that you don't say, go away from, from me. In fact, you, you draw us closer. And you say, I want you to have life. I want you to have salvation. I want you to be able to live the life that I have for you. This life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all the other fancy fruits of the Spirit. You draw us near and you want us to have that life. And so you're telling us in this moment, make me the center of your life. Follow me. Get up every day. Keep putting your baggage behind. Make amends when you need to make amends. And follow hard after me because I will show you the way to the Father. I will show you the life you've always wanted. Oh, we want that this morning. God, we want that. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh in us this morning. Jesus, that you'd wrap your arms around us and hold us because we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid to let go of the things that are idols in our life. But we want your life. And so we receive it this morning and we commit ourselves to following after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.